So this is John's record of the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday. Um, you know we've been reading through the Gospel of John since the fall, right? Um, we landed on this scripture today. I didn't pick it. We didn't jump. So at whatever timing or order we've been going through the Gospel of John, it just so happens in God's plan that on Palm Sunday we land on the Palm Sunday reading. I love that. God's in control of the smallest details. But when you hear this story read, thank you for reading that in its entirety, what stands out? What do you notice? Just give me anything. When you are hearing a read or reading yourself right now, what do you see? What do you notice about it? What stands out? Just like the part where they, it always stuck out to me, that at first they didn't understand all of this. At first they didn't understand. Yep. Right. Sounds familiar. I feel that way all the time. Yeah. Sally. Typical of human beings, they came because they... They wanted to be entertained. Yes. They wanted to see Lazarus. They, yes. they heard about it. And it was like, well, let's go see what's going on here. Exactly. Right. You can see their motivation a little bit. It's not totally pure motives either, but it's, it got them to Jesus. Yeah. Did something. One step in the right direction. What else? What do we notice? Yeah. Uh, the Pharisees getting very mad and fighting with each other because... Um, hmm their like, efforts are futile. Like, no matter what they're doing to like, thwart Jesus throughout all of the Gospels, no matter yeah. what, he's, they said like, the, what, the whole world is running after him. Oh, I love it. I know. Pray for that. running after him no matter what. Yeah. 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 Excellent. What else? The, yeah, Mickey, go ahead. I was going to say there's prophecy being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. 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 And the thing that stood out to me was the presence of the crowds around Jesus. I just started thinking, you know, he's around crowds all the time. And he finds time to be alone, but he's constantly around crowds. Just random groups of people that he gets to say stuff and do stuff in front of, and they watch. And I thought back, you know, actually his whole life was that way. When he was born, there were shepherds. There's crowds of locals that crowded around, right? Innkeepers and shepherds and magi. Just there were, there were lots of people around him. And through his whole ministry, from the very first miracle at the wedding, just crowds around. He's constantly teaching crowds. He's constantly speaking. We hear that the Bible say, you know, he turned to the crowds and he said, and then he turned to his disciples and he said, and then he turned to the fact he's always in this public eye. And then I thought further, I'm like, ah, this is what he actually calls his disciples to be all about, too. Go out into all the world. Like, get out into the crowds, into the highways and byways, and, and spread this good news. Like, there's always this crowd element, this stranger element, surrounded by others element. And so basically, this entire sermon is just like one big apology to all of us introverts. You have to, in some capacity, be around the crowds, you have to. It was Jesus' whole ministry. It's what he calls his disciples to. And if we're never around the crowds, who are we ever going to tell that Jesus loves them? Who could ever come into his kingdom if we're just surrounded by the body of Christ or withdrawn into ourselves? And there are a lot of introverts. I think the pandemic has actually turned a lot of people into introverts who are somehow borderline before or maybe even extroverted. It's just done this thing where we're more comfortable being on our own. We're less comfortable being face-to-face -face with other people. We're, we're more likely to retreat than we are to engage. We've been practicing hiding for two years. Like, that's not a good thing. And that will be not a good thing for God's kingdom if we're supposed to be around the crowds. 
we get uncomfortable in these situations, uncomfortable around strangers. What will people think? And Nicole's icebreaker this morning is a great way to kind of make us actually say, what do we think is going to happen when we have a conversation with someone about faith? Are we nervous? Are we not? Like, I think what has slowly happened is there's been a shift from thinking of our faith as being a personal faith to reinterpreting that as being a private faith. And I don't think that's a good thing. Our faith is supposed to be deeply personal and mean the world to us. That we would die for it, literally, not just in some metaphorical sense. Like, I should and you should be willing to die for it. That's personal. But it's not meant to be private. It's not meant to be secret. It's not meant to be hidden. It's meant to be shouted. So how do you have something that's personal be public? I think what we see in Jesus' life, I think it was fairly personal for him, being one with God the Father. You know, like... He lived out his faith in the public eye for God's glory. He was living his personal faith in ways that the public was able to see. And he always was aware of his own motivations and the motivations of people around him. And he knew they wanted to make him king. And he's like, no, not my time. And he knew they were just asking this because of their jealousy. And he says, that's not the real point here. And he knew, like, he could see all the motives. And those things we don't always have access to. What are the people around us thinking? What are they feeling? But because we don't know, sometimes we just say, well, I have a personal faith. And basically what that means is we have a private, secret faith that doesn't have any legs, and it doesn't walk, and it's got no mouth, and it doesn't talk, and it doesn't get out and out and about. And we've taken what's meant to be a personal faith lived out in the public eye, and we've privatized it and hidden it away. And that's not what Jesus did. It's not what he calls us to. And so for us who are introverts, personal faith sounds good. Do you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Yes. I can just get up in the morning and read my Bible by myself and pray on my own and do it all within the convenience and comfortability of my own home and family and friends. Yes. And you also have to have some exposure to the crowds. So we need to kind of make a caveat or explain what the crowds could be because my next thought after I got to that point was, well, what about someplace like China where it's illegal to proclaim your faith publicly? You're not able to go on a sidewalk or on a street corner and say, I'm a believer. Although you could if you felt compelled to, and some do that, and then are imprisoned for it. And that was something that God led them to as an act of faith. But they actually, the church in China and in countries where it's illegal to be a Christian, the church thrives. The church grows. It booms. Because the people recognize that the crowds are the people that are around you, the people that you see. Not necessarily a public forum, but people outside of your immediate circle. So if we were in a place where it was illegal to be practicing our faith publicly, we should get to know our neighbors and then feel at some point a sense of like safety. You know what? Would you want to come over sometime and, and, and talk? And then you talk and in that you're like, well, I pray, and you take steps. And so the crowd just becomes neighbors, and that's how it grows. It's redefining crowd. So I, I want to turn it to us to say, well, if, what would crowds look like? Not everyone is meant to be a, a public speaker. Not everyone is a street evangelist. But every one of us has a crowd, the people that are around us that are kind of observing our lives. So speak from your experience. Give us some examples. Share for you who your crowd is. Who are the people around that you're trying to like live out your faith inside of, but they're not necessarily believers? Where are your crowds? 
Okay, so if you have unbelieving family members, then you can live out your faith inside of them. Okay. Coworkers. Coworkers. Yeah, you go to the office, go to the work site, go to school. Every day you're trying to be a Christian in that place. Those represent your crowds. Right, Larry. Friends you play street hockey with. Exactly. Right, when they check you really hard, how do you respond? You know, like real practical faith things like that. Yeah. Yeah, hobbies, golf, golf buddies, those can be crowds. Yeah, dead then. Yeah, yeah. Arthur B. Stratton, you are up. <laughs> okay, L Street, when they give out tracks. It's right. Sometimes right, there's a crowd that just random people around that you get to somehow live out faith in front of. Elia, what were you thinking? Yeah, I just think of, well, I don't see many people at all, but um, the people at, um, like, school pick up, they go to School pickups. What about your business as well? Yeah, that one. Right. Nikki brought that up. It's harder to yeah. have conversations when you're trying to get people like through a line. So you're being so productive, it's hard to kind of yeah. converse. Yeah. That so makes sense. Probably could. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. What do you think, Kayla? Did I see your hand going up as well? <laughs> no crowds right now. All right, all right. I mean, I justify doctors. Your doctors, yeah. Because everyone's kind of out of place with my hand, but this is it, but I don't think so. Okay. We keep believing, keep praying. Just like family, when family's not nearby. Yeah, yep. Friends that are more family than family sometimes. Yeah, you live out your faith in, in the sight of these people. These represent our crowds. Any others come to mind? There's a, there's a classic and easy example that we could use about living out our faith in front of each other. And, and I want to bring up this whole like embarrassment about our faith versus just simple social awkwardness. You know, Jesus said, whoever's ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of. But sometimes we're not so much ashamed of Jesus as we're just really socially uncomfortable. <laughs> I really love Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it at all, but I don't know what to say to the stranger. And I think we can divide those into two separate categories and just say, I love Jesus. I have no shame about my faith. But also, like, I don't want to talk to a stranger. I don't want to bring up this conversation. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what question I'm going to have to answer. The classic example of that is praying over food, praying over meals. Right? There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to pray before every meal. But please, pray before every meal. It's such a wonderful tradition, and it brings the rhythm of eating and gathering into a spiritual place. Instead of just, oh, we chow down, hey, good to see you. It's like, oh, we brought God into this moment. So many times Jesus broke bread, thanked God, and then they shared a meal. Like, it's such a good practice. But do you pray in public when you eat out? Right? That's a whole other thing. You're living out your faith. If you pray every meal at home, you really need to pray every meal when you're out. Because if you're not, then you're choosing to not do your personal faith in the public eye. Now, it would also be kind of weird if you never prayed at home and then you got into a public setting and you stood up on your chair and like, Lord, thank you for this uh, Chipotle wrap. In your great blessings, we appreciate your bountiful harvest. No, 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 no. It's not for people to see, but it's refusing to let your personal thing be secret. I will not put it away to convenience you. 
I will not stop doing the thing. This is Daniel, remember? The edict, no one can pray to anybody except to the king for this whole period of time. And Daniel keeps going to his open window in his house, praying, facing Jerusalem three times a day. Not as an act of just mere defiance, not as a showboat, but because it's what he had always done. And that phrase is right there, just as he had always done. So he had a personal faith, but it was in the public eye, and he refused to stop being personal with God when he was around other people. So there's the, the social awkwardness piece of it um, versus shame. I think it's good to separate those things and say to ourselves, it's okay to feel awkward. It doesn't mean you don't love Jesus. <laughs> but don't let your awkwardness turn your faith off when it might have an opportunity to inspire someone to say, oh, look at that person on that table over there praying. I haven't seen anybody pray around a table in a long time. You might remind them of when they grew up and prayed as a family around the table, and maybe they haven't in years. Maybe they'll think it's really strange. But for you to get to have a conversation with God and thank Him for that moment and enjoy Him in that meal time with whoever you're with, that's your faith. It's a small thing, but it's a visible thing. I encourage you to think about meal times. And there's an aside I have to make here, too, because one of the crowds that I thought you might have listed, which I'm not really referring to in this message, it's not like the topic of our conversation, is social media. It feels like that's a natural crowd. I can speak and a lot of people will listen, but I don't think it's complete relationships. I think they're incomplete relationships that are formed in the virtual world. And Jesus, when he was ministering to all these people, it was a full-fledged relationship. He shared food with these people. He healed them. He put his hands on them and, and touched them, made them well. If they had a question, they could go to him afterwards. He was right there physically. There was none of the like protection that you can get where you can just type something mean, click send, and then turn off your screen. You don't have to feel the response of someone. Um, it was a very real whole relationship. So if we in our virtual world like Facebook or whatever could have an ongoing conversation face-to-face -face with everyone that we're talking to, that would more approximate Jesus with the crowds. It was personal, it was real. And I think the online world only gives you like your voice and a picture of your face. And it's so limited that when you try to say, well, this is what I believe, most of the time, people don't believe it because talk is cheap. But when you see someone, you live with them and say, oh, they said this, and then they followed through on that. They say they believe in hospitality, and then we just had a meal at their house. Like This is full and holistic kind of relationship. So when Jesus is talking, he's not just talking about words. He's not just talking about proclaiming a statement. He's, he's like I said, he's feeding 5,000 people actual food. He's laying hands on actual lepers and blind people and healing them. And so I'm going to encourage us to treat our social media and online crowds as kind of like a secondary crowd. And if we have time and investment and energy, feel free. Maybe God will call you to put something good out into that massive soup of words and sound. But it is so massive that in my opinion, I think my voice would probably just get drowned out and be one of many. And so I don't find it valuable the same way that I find being with someone face-to-face -face and in their life valuable. And so I want to concentrate there. And then if I have something else to give into this realm, please, by all means, have a public stance for your faith online. But what can happen is our online faith, you start scrolling Facebook, six hours pass, and you realize you got to get up for work soon or so. You know, like it consumes time. But what about your actual next door neighbor? What about your actual son or daughter in the house? 
who are in their room on their device? What about your actual brother-in-law and sister-in-law? What about your actual friend at church? Like Those are the relationships we're meant to invest in first. And if we're caught in the deep end of the pool swimming online too much, we're not actually going to be able to do anything besides just talk about stuff, because that's what it's limited to. And we're supposed to live this stuff out. But what if we ended up just talking our lives away and never living it? That would be the wrong way to do it. So from my conversation today, I want to talk about face-to-face relationships and then just let you do with these thoughts in the online world whatever you can, whatever you feel led to do. Patrice, did you want to add to that thought? Yeah, I thought just came from the world at 49 yesterday. Mm. We were outside. It was a nice day. People were walking. We were telling them about what we were doing. But then Art said something about tracks, and I thought, wouldn't it be good if we had like a paper and maybe a picture of what the future is going to look like in there? And it's a conversation thing, you know, write whatever Michelle could write on there to get explained. That'd be awesome. And, you know, I just thought that'd be a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to put our, our um, sort of vision boards up in the, in the window. In the windows? Right. People yeah. walk yeah. by yeah. and see. I have them yeah. printed out, so we can do that. We had the same thought, yeah, great minds thinking alike. I like it. So what we want to do is we want to observe Jesus. We are his apprentices. Your life and my life is supposed to look like his life, and he helps us to do this. So I've taken a look at this Palm Sunday story, this triumphal entry, and taken seven different things that I see Jesus doing out of it. And so I'm thinking of them as Christian life skills that I want us to consider practicing in our relationships, you with your crowd. So whatever crowds you thought of, These are seven things that I think we need to keep in mind if we're going to be good at this. And for those of us that are more uncomfortable, more introverted, these things might not even come naturally. But we want to follow Jesus' example. So the first thing I see of these seven things is Jesus' impeccable timing. It is not good to always be a bulldozer. I just wanted to say something, so I said it. That person might not be ready for that thought right then. How many times did people want to make Jesus king? And he said, not now. Not yet. So there was a now. There was a yet. He got there. We just read about him coming into Jerusalem. He was crowned. He's coronated on that day. King. But not until their timing was right. We need to pray that God reveals to us the right timing. We will never know the right timing for someone else. God always knows the perfect timing for the encouraging word or the challenging word or the rebuke. You come to someone in the right mindset and you're like, you really shouldn't have done that. And there's a reception in their spirit, a softness, like a, ah, you're right. And you have a great conversation, but what you let off with is, hey, knock it off. But it was received well because God had been like softening that heart and probably saying the same thing to that person, and you were able to talk about it. But you can come to a different person or that same person at a different time, be like, knock it off. And that can be like a division in the relationship. Who are you to tell me what to do? I don't want to talk. Like, so we need to pray for God's timing. If Jesus had come in on a donkey as like a four-year-old, not the same effect, right? Too early. Too early. If Jesus doesn't come in at all, then what about all those prophecies that said there would be a king? It didn't happen. Failure. God didn't do what he's like. No. The perfect timing. Please pray for perfect timing with the people that you engage with. There is such a thing as good intentions and bad timing. You really can mean the best and just make a mess of it anyway. But God can help with that. He can direct us to say, this is when... 
You know, not to be impulsive, but not to procrastinate, to know when someone else is ready, to not speak when you're angry. I was just mad, so I said what was on my mind. Yeah, and now you get to clean up the mess from that. Nice work. Now you had the original problem plus the problem you created. But God's timing would say, all right, well, I recognize that I'm boiling inside, and so anything that happens right now from these lips to this person is going to be an atomic bomb. So I'm going to take five, or I'm going to call them tomorrow, or I'm going to just pray about this. That sort of waiting on God for his timing will mean that the interactions we have with people are so much more influential, so much more beneficial. So please recognize Jesus entered Jerusalem at exactly the right time. The second one, which is the most obvious of all of them, is it has to be humble. Every one of our interactions with the crowds has to be humble. Jesus came in as a king on a donkey. Jesus came in as a king surrounded by the rabble of society. He identified with the lowly people. He's like, these are my people. When we feel ourselves being elevated, you get a promotion at work, or someone compliments you on something you do, it's really easy to be like, well, thank you very much. How do we make ourselves lowly in that moment? Someone says like, oh, you know, you you play music so beautifully. Is it, well, thank you? Or is it, well, that was something that God gave me through my parents, actually, and through a grandmother who like, paid for piano lessons for many years. And you know, like, there's a story behind it. And it's not actually my story. It's the story of all those people that made piano a part of my life before I ever chose for it to be a part of my life. When you, you witness to somebody make a meal, Patrice, how can you cook for so many people and have it turn out so well instead of it being like, well, thank you and I'm glad you liked it. It's like, well, God's blessed me with a love of cooking and he's made me good at cooking. That's just all him. And he gave me these supplies and he gave me the idea for this meal. I'm so glad it's your favorite meal. I had no idea. You know, we're finding ways to show that God's involved in this and it's not self-promoting. How can Jesus come in as king with people throwing their garments on the road in front of him and somehow not be arrogant about that? He found a way. He found a way. It's how he came in. It's how he was dressed. It's who he associated with. Do we only want to be with the clean people? Homeless ministry is not our thing. Mm, Don't think we get to say that. Don't think we get to pick what's most convenient, the people that are most beautiful, the people that are most affirming to us, make us feel the best about ourselves. That's just not how you process stuff. Humble is the lowest. So we put ourselves down, not false humility, but just recognize we're just people. So praise God that something good came out of some people. Jesus manages to be humble. We have to be humble. We don't want to make people feel less than us in any way. We actually want to elevate people above ourselves. So if they give us a compliment, Like, yeah, but, man, I could never do what you do and elevate the gifts that God has given them. There is a way to be triumphantly entering entering, and yet still be humble at the same time. It gives glory to God. It elevates the people around us. And um, it takes a little bit of work, actually, because it's easy to take a compliment. And uh, we need to do is make sure God gets the compliments. This brings us to our third one. So the first one is Jesus' timing in this. The second one is his humility. The third one is uh, the audience of one. He did not come into Jerusalem for the crowds. He came into Jerusalem for God. He was not looking for public approval, even though he was doing a very public thing. 
He was doing it out of obedience. God said, go into Jerusalem. And so even if he didn't want to at that moment, that was not the point. The point was, this is the time the Father has said, go. So when we're doing our things, who are we hoping will notice? Happens in prayer sometimes. When you pray out loud, you just start thinking about everybody listening to you pray. Right? Who will notice? It happens sometimes when you're, you're at a family function and they start talking and like all the eyes look to you. You find you're telling the story and you're the center of attention for a little while. Like, who are we telling that story for? You go to L Street and it starts off as like a very a beautiful thing. Just want to help someone then it, and then it feels like sort of a, a special thing. And then it sort of feels like a unique thing. And then it sort of feels like a holy thing. And then we sort of feel a little more holy and a little more special, a little more unique. It's just, it's just feeding people who need it. And it's got to be done for God. In those instances, you're not actually making the food for the people. You're making God's food for him and you're going to bring it to a location and he's going to bring people that he wants to feed. Like, who is it for? It's not for us. And so in this instance, Jesus' triumphal entry was not for him. And even though it was in the view of the crowds, it was not for the crowds. It was in obedience to what God was calling him to do. He's not looking for popularity. He was exercising obedience. This is kind of similar to, or at least it brings in the, the question of, um, what about the verse of the Bible that says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, right? Aren't we supposed to have it be private and secret? And Well, let's first recognize that specifically talking about money. Money can be given anonymously. How would I teach anonymously this morning? It could be one of those shows where I'm behind a screen, you don't actually know who's there, and I could have my voice muffled into a thing and you don't have... Would that make it more holy because then I'm not the one delivering it? No. There's some gifts. The gift of healing, the gift of uh, hospitality. How can you have someone stay in your home but them not know whose home they're in? <laughs> All right, I'm going to bring you blindfolded to this place, okay? I'm going to lead you to a room and shut it. You can't look out. Don't look out the window either. You, don't, you can't know where you are. Every morning at 6, I'm going to lead you down blindfolded to the table. And you're going to eat food together, but nobody talks. because you'll recognize their voices. How can you practice hospitality anonymously? We wouldn't even try. We wouldn't even want to. We want to love the people we're with. So what the statement about money is, is a safeguard. Because money is so easy to give and to create status with. Sometimes even knowing that a person you're having a conversation with is well off makes you feel less than them. Just the knowledge of someone who has like a good job or someone has a big home or a summer home immediately makes you feel not as sufficient because money is the currency of this world. Money is the power of this world. Money is what drives things. So the minute you play that game with money specifically, we push each other apart. Food brings people together. Laying hands on a healing brings people together. So it's a safeguard against money, but it's the same safeguard we need for all the gifts. You don't want to show hospitality and be like, so I was hosting someone in my home for the last six months. I'm pretty awesome. But you could be like, God opened up a space in our house and it was at just the right timing and someone needed it at that time. And look how God opened the door and then just be a vehicle for what God's doing for that person. You can talk about your hospitality. And I think when we put pictures up on the screen here, we talk about missional things. We need to figure out how to not be self-promoting, but also give God a lot of glory to be able to be visible in our faith, but not have it be about public approval. 
And that's a good heart learning curve. We, we need to work on that. Jesus lived his entire life in the public eye. He had a personal faith that was lived out publicly. So just a couple more things. I'll go through them much more quickly just for the sake of time. But in our, our, our uh, reading from this morning, you recognize that the Greek-speaking people went to Philip. Who went to Andrew? Philip and Andrew are the two apostles with Greek names. They grew up in a city that was known to be heavily Greek-influenced, so they are Hebrews, but they have like a great knowledge of the Greek culture. Is it any surprise that the Greek-speaking people in the crowd went to them? There's a compatibility piece to the crowds that we should recognize. Who are the people that are like us? If you work in a certain field, you're going to talk the lingo with someone in that field really well. If you're of a certain age and live through certain life events, you're going to talk to other people that are in that place. You're going to click a little bit. like Seek out the people that you can connect with. It's helpful. That's helpful. We're going to pair that with the one that comes right after the other point, which is that God sometimes chooses the most unlikely. So don't write someone off feeling like, well, that's the person that's never going to come to church. That's the person that's never going to want to hear anything about faith. Don't thwart or stifle your faith because you feel you're, you're prejudging a person's receptivity to it. But recognize the people that are like you and talk to them about things that you can relate about. Where did someone grow up? You know, what's someone's background, their family history? You know, are they Italian? Did they grow up eating big Italian meals with an Italian grandmother like we did? Like, we'll talk about that. And then it gives us ways to connect. Last two, compassion and the gospel. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. I think we see crowds and we just feel intimidated. We see crowds, we see large groups of people, we see strangers, and we just feel intimidated by that. But he saw past that and said, you know, I love these people. God loves these people, even if they don't love him back. And they need God just as much as anyone. So I'm here. This is the moment. These are the people. This is the audience. Let me live out this faith publicly. Because they need it. And if you can see the need in someone else's life that they might not even see for themselves, it will give you compassion on them. And the last one is actually, Sally gave us a good preface of this from her sharing before. It's the gospel. You recognize that most of the people came to see Lazarus because he had been dead and was now alive. So they came for the show and the spectacle. But when they got there, Jesus said, yeah, but you need to take up your cross daily and follow me. Yeah, but I'm going to be killed pretty soon. Yeah, but we're sinners and we need God to save us. So sometimes as we're living out our faith in a public way, maybe 49 Main can be an example, maybe L Street can be an example, maybe us at work could be an example. There's a million practical ways we could flesh this out. People may come because they say, oh, you're a Christian. Can you pray for healing for me? Oh, you're a Christian. Uh, I'm really in a tough place in my marriage. Does the Bible have anything, advice on what to do for reconciliation? Oh, you're a, and they're coming for the benefits that God has to provide. But they came. What will you give them? It may be that someone comes and says, can you do this for me? Maybe the statement you give them is, man, God loves you. God's all about forgiveness. Jesus died for you. So what is the message? You don't have to answer the question. Jesus often didn't. People came to him with their own questions, and he responded with the gospel. We should not get so caught up in the moment that 
we don't lift people's eyes beyond the lives that we're living now to what's more important to eternity. So this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. This is our king on a donkey. This is an apology to all of us who would rather just keep it simple and keep it quiet. You're not allowed. You're just not allowed. We're supposed to be like Jesus fully, right? So there are going to be moments where you have to walk into town. Devin has arrived. There's moments for that. There's moments to stand up and walk in. There's moments to proclaim that Kim Davies is here. There's just a moment. And Kim doesn't ever want there to be a moment where it's proclaimed that Kim is here. (laughs) But that robs the entire world of the blessing that Kim is. Can we all say amen to that? We know Kim, right? She's a blessing to the world. And if as one of our quieter people, she would rather not be the public face of Jesus to the world, I'm sorry. (laughs) You might rather not, but actually you're robbing the world of getting to see God through your eyes. There are people that you will connect with that are your compatibility people that will just say, oh, that makes sense. I I see what she sees. That will never see it that same way through Jane, through me, through Devin, through anyone in your circle. Um, So you need to find your moments when it's uh, publicly lived out, personal kind of faith. Um, It takes practice. We spend our lives practicing and we'll get to heaven. We'll be excellent at it after it's too late to make good use of it. Um, But God is sanctifying us, so he's making us more and more like Jesus every day. And I just want us to embrace that. Embrace the crowds as much as we can. Step out of our shell as much as we feel God calling us to.